Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, a filmmaker and competitive storyteller, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we help you break down the art and science of storytelling. This podcast is a six-second stories production. Six Second Stories is a video marketing agency that tells heartfelt stories to help you maximize your impact and inspire action in minimal time. Check out more about what we do at SixSecondStories.com. Well, my compelling storytellers, we are a couple of weeks into this coronavirus pandemic, and I don't know about you, but I'm going a little bit crazy. Fortunately, um, my family and my loved ones and those that I care about are pretty safe and healthy and I hope yours are as well but many of us are not and even if we are safe and healthy and haven't tested positive for COVID-19 we're struggling many of us most of us I would say are struggling from the economic disaster that this has created and one thing I've been struggling with and we've talked about on the show already is how do we continue with business as usual, especially if you're a marketer or a content creator? Like at what point is your content creation tone deaf or how much do you call it out? And is all your content coronavirus related? Because that also seems problematic to me. And so what we are landing on here at Six Second Stories in the Storytelling Lab is that we seek to help our people. I have a weekly storytelling tip that I put out uh, to my subscribers every Monday. And last Monday I put one out talking about this and if if you don't subscribe to the list you can find it at rainbennett.com slash weekly storytelling tips or just go to rainbennett.com and in about 10 seconds a prompt box will come up but what I talked about was was my dilemma in, in debating this and then I realized that storytelling is actually really important right now it's actually crucial in my opinion and that's not just because this is what I do for a living but because storytelling is how we connect with one another it's how we show 
our way out of the darkness. It's how we show a way past obstacles and through struggles that we have, which is incredibly important right now. And it's a way that we feel bonded and connected and they give us hope. So now more than ever, I think storytelling is important. And personally, I'm very grateful. I'm very fortunate. My wife and I are both able to keep working and we both have our jobs continuing on. I know so many people that have either gotten their hours reduced by 90% or completely lost their jobs or if they're business owners and entrepreneurs have either been shut down by the government or just lost their jobs because their jobs require people to to go there and people aren't going anywhere right now and specifically my brother is a caterer and he's I mean nobody's getting married and having these big big events which is his bread and butter and so today my guest is Denise Withers And Denise is a change strategist and storyteller. And specifically, we dive deep today in talking about how we can use storytelling to find our way out of these issues. And I'm so pumped about this episode. I know it's going to be so helpful. You know, I would have had Denise on. We had her booked anyway to be on the show because of what she's done. She spent, I think, over 30 years creating science documentaries for the Discovery Channel. And science is one area that we talked a lot about that is often hard for the people in the field, scientists in this case, to communicate to normal people and how storytelling can really benefit that gap or help fill that gap or bridge that divide in communication between doctors and scientists and regular people like you and me. I I deal with this all the time because I do a lot of health documentaries and doctors have a hard time communicating to people. And if they can do it through stories, they can get across their findings. Now, in our current situation, we have people that have to think creatively and find a way out of their predicament. And one, we can help people by sharing stories if we found a way out. So if you're a caterer and you pivoted in a certain way to share your story with others so that people like my brother can can see the light at the end of the tunnel or, or ways out of out of the darkness, as I say. And secondly, we can also use storytelling to figure out our way out of the darkness, even if someone hasn't set the precedent or or an example for us. And we do that by using a strategy, a concept called story design. And this is the crux of what Denise and I talked about in this episode, how to use storytelling to design our business model or our plan. And this is based off of the concept of design thinking. And a great example of this, we've had someone a couple of seasons ago on the show, Nick Sung, who is a storyboard artist for Pixar, and they worked with... um, Airbnb to tell the story of their users, which are either hosts or guests for Airbnb, and they storyboarded them out. And we've mentioned this, Denise and I talk about this on the show. I loved talking to her because her heart has always been in the right place. I love that concept of a change strategist or a change agent. She helps people make a change in their lives. And that's what she was doing for decades before the coronavirus pandemic. But now it's more important than ever to not just roll over and get steamrolled by this thing, but how can we tap into what's going on inside of us in our minds and our hearts and how can we structure a story that shows us the way out? This is a crucial episode for now and for always. I am super stoked to bring it to you and very, very grateful that Denise spent some time with us. She is 
she leads with her heart and she is passionate and you can tell that and and I just appreciate that so much about her and and about anyone. So I'm going to stop talking because this is an episode for the books. I hope you all love it and get a ton of value out of it. Here is my guest for today, Denise Withers. Thank you. I appreciate you making the time. And and uh, honestly, you were able to make the time because of what's going on with the coronavirus and everything. So first of all, uh, tell me how I know a little bit because of the event. We were going to wait till you did this event, which I want to hear about. But tell me how else this has affected your day to day with with what you do. Yeah, I've been affected like everybody else where most of my clients are retreating and hunkering down and, um, you know, just so uncertain about the future. Uh, Everybody just wants to kind of wait to move forward. And so I've been doing the same with my business and I'm really just getting set to, um, you know, come forward with a few things that I'm hoping might help people. And and it's been really interesting because the one thing I have had clients reach out to me and say, we would love to hear from you on this idea of controlling the narrative because that's the one thing they keep hearing in the media, right? That leaders have to control the narrative. Yeah. So for me, that's a really interesting concept because, you know, I'm like you, I suspect I'm always really nervous about the perception that stories have. Yeah. Right. That we can we can twist stories, that stories are spin, that stories are not true. Um, and so when I hear people say things like, well, we want to control the narrative, that makes me really nervous yeah. because it's not about controlling the narrative and contriving it to fit, you know, what what is going to work best for your organization. But I think what's really needed and, and what I want to write about for my audience is the idea of leaders needing to help people make meaning right? Mm. Story is such a powerful sense-making tool. So, so when we, when we can't make meaning and I can go on about this in tons of detail if you want, but when, you know, when we can't make meaning from complexity, that's when we get scared. That's when we get uncomfortable. And so I think the, the leader's role is not to control the narrative, but to help people understand what's going on, help them make sense of it within the context of their own lives and their own narratives. And then help them help us all find a way to come together into mm-hmm. a common vision of, you know, what's the story that we want to create in the future. And I think that's really the opportunity for leaders right now. I think the, the come together and connect is such a big part of it. And I think I agree with that. And, and, and this negative connotation that stories tend to have had in, in the past, you know, if you're a storyteller, you're, you're a fibber, right? That's, that's kind of what we, we grew up with. And I know that we can influence the narrative that way, but I think what you're saying is is more important about us just sharing our stories so that they are heard. I think if we're gonna fight, you know, fake news or or people, you know, dramatizing things or making them more than they are, I think the only way to do that is for us to continue to share stories. That's how we connect and relate to each other, right? Very um, much, very much so. Yeah. And I don't suspect we'll be out of these woods for quite some time. So most likely we won't have to preface this for everybody because maybe we'll still be going through this coronavirus. But um, essentially everything's shut down as of like this week, last week, or maybe two weeks ago, depending on the density of the place you live. Everything's kind of shut down and we're in this really weird place. I'm in this really weird place of like, okay, how do we still serve our audiences and our communities? But it's hard to make meaning of where's the line, right? We still want to provide value, serve our audiences. We still need to 
keep our businesses going, but we're kind of in a new world right now and we're all very, it's brand new to all of us. So we're all trying to navigate it. So if this comes out in April or something, I don't think that we will just be like, Oh, coronavirus, that was the thing of the past. Yeah. So, but I think it's, it, it's worthwhile to at least establish where we are today when we're recording this, because uh, as I alluded to earlier, you, you had an event and we were going to wait until this event was done to do this podcast. Tell me a little bit about that event and what your plans were. And is that event just postponed or is it outright canceled? Yeah, it's postponed indefinitely. So I was going to an event called Wild 11, uh, which is the World Wilderness Congress. It's held roughly every four years. It's the oldest and biggest um, wilderness con congress in the world. And essentially, you know, all the big organizations and uh, people who are working for, on behalf of wilderness come together and really try to um, set policy, make resolutions to guide their work going forward. And so especially there's a couple of big meetings that were supposed to be coming up this year in terms of looking at endangered species and things like mm. that. And so the idea behind this event, there were going to be 1500 people there was that, um, you know, we would get together and we would think about, okay, what's our strategy going to be going forward? Because as we're seeing, you know, with the coronavirus and, and everything that's going on, the more disconnected we become from the natural world, the more we're upsetting the balance of life on the planet, Oof. right? And, and so, um, so my role going in, uh, so this, this conference was being organized by, largely by an organization called what, the Wild Foundation in the States. And so, um, recognizing that story is a really powerful tool for engagement and for making change, the Congress was going to have a heavy emphasis on training for storytelling to help people uh, develop their capacity. And so I was coming in as the story coach for the mm -hmm. Congress. And so what we expected was going to happen was that delegates would go through all of these sessions, they'd be really excited as they discovered all the things that they could use story for, you know, beyond just marketing. Right. Yeah. Um, and they would come out of their sessions and then lose momentum. And so my job was going to be to go in and say, okay, you've got some great ideas. You're excited about the, the possibility of using story. Come and work with me and I'll help you figure out how, you know, the, the tangible piece of how to start to move that forward. Yeah. And this is so important. I think um, I was having this conversation with another colleague recently because I help people through workshops and speeches and, and, and coaching as well. And it's so easy to get everybody jazzed and excited about the big picture idea of like, Oh, we're going to use stories to connect with people and affect change. And then if we don't have the tactical, tangible, actionable items afterwards, it's easy to lose that momentum. I mean, how often have we been in a conference and been lit up with excitement and inspiration from a keynote speaker? And then we don't really take that and apply it. This is something that why I love talking to people like you, because my goal, my, my real goal with this storytelling thing is to actually help people understand the how, you know, how do we actually do it? We know that storytelling works. That's why it's such a buzzword right now. Many of us even know why we know a little bit about the psychology and the neurology behind storytelling. But I'm finding that so many people don't understand exactly how to do it. And that's, that's where I'm really trying to help people specifically people in the, in the beginner to intermediate stage, there's a lot of people now tasked with having to tell stories. Either they are using it for marketing, but like you said, there's so many other uses connecting with your community in a deeper capacity and maximizing that impact. And people, people struggle with it. They don't really know how they don't know how to consistently do it. So I, I'm really excited to, to, to talk to you today and specifically because of what, what you do in that environmental space. I've, I know a lot of people that use stories to make 
positive impact and change in that space. So um, let's start off with, with, with uh, I know a little bit about your story, but for our audience, like what was your intro into storytelling? Telling, tell us a little bit of your background with the films that you were making and, and, and the, um, who you were working for years ago before, before you started really coaching people with their stories. Because, yeah. and I'll just preface it by what I love about this show is we have people from all different backgrounds right. that know how to use stories. And so I'm so interested in like, in those unique, um, you know, entrances that we have to this storytelling space. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to tell the story of when I was a kid, I loved all the stories because that really wasn't, that wasn't me. Right. right. And it doesn't have to be. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I never really thought about it that way. I was a reader because my mom was a reader, you know. Mm-hmm moms out there, parents out there, get your kids to read. Um, and when, uh, and I was, and I was always a writer. And so when mm. I left university, I kind of wanted to go into journalism, TV, something like that. It what was, did you study uh, at, at the university? Yeah. So I went to uh, the Ryerson, it's a university now in Toronto, and mm-hmm. I studied uh, a combination of radio and television arts. And then I snuck in some journalism courses there. Okay. And I learned, it was really the heyday because, you know, corporate video production and everything was just starting to happen. So Mm -hmm. it was, it was the perfect time. And what I discovered really quickly was there was this thing just starting to happen that I found so fascinating. And at the time I called them mini documentaries and it was 60, it's 60 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. And in Canada, (laughs) W5, right? So telling these kind of bite-sized stories, but enough time to be able to go in depth. And so that's really what I focused on when I was studying um, and, uh, when I came out of school, I was really lucky because a lot of the cable TV, if anybody remembers that cable TV channels were just going on the air. So there was a real hunger for content. Um, and so the piece that I always loved was the, the learning, right? Diving into a really interesting, complex topic, and then translating that in a way that is engaging and entertaining. That was and, what and, always drove me. And and I want to talk to you about this specifically, because I do a lot of work in, in, in medical industries and other right. complex, complicated uh, realms and worlds that it's, that it's hard for people, lay people to understand. And that's part of our jobs, right? Like to, to make it decipherable and and understandable by people and package it in a narrative so i'm i'm, I'm excited to, to dive into that tell me specifically because i know you were working with the discovery channel yeah what kind of of these mini docs were you mostly creating yeah so um yeah so i was lucky to be my career was just starting to go when discovery really hit the air uh-huh. um, and i was super lucky to be able to work as a writer director and not have to be a producer and get the money and all of that stuff and so <laughs> I worked for production companies who worked for discovery. And so we did, um, I'm not a space nerd at all, but we did several series on space. (laughs) So we did, um, a 13 part series on life in space. So what does it mean to live in space? What does that look like? And so I got to spend a lot of time down at NASA working with the European space agency, working with the astronauts there and in Canada doing a lot of interviews, you know, looking at what the science was, um, and then that led to me working on another series called Space Medicine. So I don't know if everybody knows this, but anything that NASA develops, uh, any technology or any uh, IP, basically intellectual property, mm-hmm. ultimately becomes um, open um, mm. for, for development. And so, uh, you know, they're That's leading cool. the way in what's going on in terms of healthcare. So a lot of technologies from NASA would then get translated into the healthcare industry. So we did um, a series where we featured stories about people who were benefiting from technologies that were developed by NASA. So everything from a guy who had the lightest prosthetic leg in the world and won, you know, bronze at the um, Paralympics to 
a boy who had like an extreme allergy to ultraviolet light and was able to get clothing made that would allow him to go outside to a guy who had this super wild robotic arm that was powered by the latest and greatest batteries. Right. So taking, taking that kind of stuff. So how do you, how do you talk about really complex material science and carbon fiber, carbon fiber development and turn that into a really engaging show. And so I, I did that until reality TV came along because reality TV really crashed the documentary industry. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then, um, so Luckily, I left. It and seems like there's a swing back and people are wanting that more after 20 years of 10 years of reality TV. Exactly. Which is a great thing. And so Me when too. I, when I left, I said, okay, how do I take this skill set um, and do something interesting with it? And so I actually went back to grad school and I thought I was just going to lo- look at how different technologies mm. helped people learn different things. And I got there and I realized this was about 15 years ago. Nobody understood this thing that you and I know about, which is called engagement. Mm. Engagement wasn't even on the radar. It wasn't talked about then. Yeah. 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 No, there was. So when I tried to research adult engagement, there was, I found zero, zero research. The only thing I could find was two studies about kids. And so that's what I ended up looking at. Mm, Very cool. So let's, let's back up a little bit. I want to try to answer that question of how you, how do you tell a story in this complex world uh, for, for you in these science documentaries? For me, often it's in healthcare uh, documentaries. What's your approach to that? If your audience is general public or, or, or entertainment, you know, you, you're making these dense scientific documentaries, but it's still, as you know, the first rule is these, these have to be entertaining. If they're not, it doesn't matter what else they feature. How, how do you go about that? Yeah. So, so it ties to what I learned about engagement design. And so the most um, common way to engage people um, is to uh, draw them into solving a problem, create a challenge Mm. for them. So it triggers this thing called epistemic curiosity, right? As soon as our world, like we know this intuitively, but I was able to actually find out how it works. And so as soon as our world gets thrown out of balance, we are wired to want to put it back in balance again. Mm, For sure. if you introduce a problem to me, like, oh my goodness, poor Billy can't go outside because he's got this allergy to the sun. How are we going to make life better for Billy? And we, you're Everybody, saying that humans have this innate, almost yep. need to try to solve that problem. Yes. And so when you're telling the story, this is what we do, right? Every yep. story describes the way a hero solves a problem. For sure. So you set it up at the beginning where you invite the audience to help solve the problem along with the hero. And so if you think about, you know, Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings, that's what, as they work through every beat in the story, yes, we yeah. are problem solving along with them in our head where, you know, we're thinking, what are they going to do now? Oh, that's not what I would have done. I would have done this, yeah. you know, or, oh, I wonder why, why he did that. And but so, the point is now we're, we're connected with the audience member, right? We're connected. And as long as the problem stays unresolved, you will maintain engagement. And as soon as you resolve the problem, engagement is over right therefore so the story's over the story's over get out forget get the wrap out. up forget everything else right get out and so writers like jk rowling are brilliant at continuing to open new problem spaces mm-hmm. right so they set it up the hero tries something the hero fails learns something now has a new problem new problem yeah yeah right and that's yeah. the cycle and as long as you can that's keep like that the cycle ebb and going, flow of of the story of the narrative Yep. I love it. What was it? What'd you call the concept again? What was it called? Well, so in learning theory, it's called epistemic curiosity. Epistemic curiosity. 
Very right. cool. And, and so there's a, it goes way back to like, the, I think it was the 50s. There's a researcher called Jean Piaget, Jean Piaget mm-hmm. and he has a whole bunch of theories about, about how we learn. But this idea of disequilibri- disequilibrium is Piaget's theory about how we learn and why we learn. And so when you combine that with, you know, I know you've talked to, you know, Paul Zak, right? When you mm-hmm. combine that with some of what we're learning about the neuroscience and you can start to put all of these theories together, you can start to get a very, um, you know, not to reduce story down to, you know, step one, two, three. Sure. But you can get some really good basics on here's how you can start and get a really decent structure that we yeah. know is going to be engaging. And then you can add all the other stuff to go along with it. Mm, that's fascinating. I love that. Um, real quick uh, tangent, uh, related tangent. Um, are you familiar with you, Alan Alda, the actor? Are you familiar with his work in the science field? No, not uh, really. I have to show you this. Um, there's a book. One second. I'm just going to grab this. Yeah. So you will love this. It very apropos of what we're just talking about. So what a lot of people don't know, and I talk about this in my presentations, is he's a huge science nerd and always has been on top of an outstanding actor. And so he spent decades helping scientists understand how to communicate their findings because most scientists don't know how to put them in normal people terms, right? right. And so he wrote this book uh, called If I Understood You, Would I Have This Look on My Face, right. which is definitely still has his you know, comedic uh, personality in that. And I usually give this away at, at speeches. I do a little bit that he has because he has a, a large section of this is on storytelling that's essentially what he helps the scientists do but if you haven't read this uh you you would love it it's right up our alley just talking about these things of how do we how do we communicate our findings to the general public because many times people in a super scientific field or in my experience doctors they just stay (laughs) in their world using their acronyms and jargon and it's just like above our heads and we we can't comprehend it so um, check that out. I think that, that you would really dig that if you haven't, if you haven't read it. Yeah, that's super, super awesome. I will definitely check. That yeah, out. he's yeah, great. Yeah. It's a good, quick read. It's fun. It's funny, but it's also, um, important, especially for people doing the work that, that you're doing. Um, I noticed on your website that you're what's called a change strategist. So, so educate me a little bit on that and the audience on what that is. And then more importantly, who you serve in that, in that role. Yeah. So um, the reason I call myself a change strategist is, you know, we tell stories for a purpose. Yes. Right. Most of us, especially in business, we tell stories for a purpose. And so it really combines the work that I do really combines storytelling and this idea of design thinking, which is problem solving. Right. And so how do you how do you bring those two together with other tools to help leaders solve problems? Can we can we do a quick aside to establish for listeners who don't know what design thinking is to give a quick definition on that? Yeah, absolutely. So design thinking um, is really, it's a popular uh, management tool these days. It's basically a creative problem solving tool. And one of the things that, a couple of things that make it different are that it's very uh, human centered or very user centered. So instead of designing what I think is best for people, I'm going to ask people and work with them to try to figure out what they actually need. Yeah. The it's other almost thing, like, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Well, the other thing that is really important that differentiates it is um, if I come up with an idea for a product or a service, rather than just charging ahead and delivering it, I actually prototype it, yes. right? And I test it out and I find out, I tested it with the people who would use it, yes. find out if it works or not. And story is actually a really powerful prototyping tool. So yeah. design thinking is really just a creative problem solving process. Yeah, which is 
it's a bit of a deep dive. It's challenging for some people to to do, but it's so effective if you've ever if you've ever practiced it. So thank you for taking the time to do that. And yeah, and it's almost like you're crafting the narrative of the user, which is what I love about it. And if you can empathize with who you're trying to serve, it, it makes that process of design thinking uh, easier. I find um, it does absolutely. And and what I've ended up doing is marrying so. So I talk about how story describes the experience of somebody who solves a problem, right? A hero Mm -hmm. who solves a problem. And design thinking is sketching out a way for us to solve a problem. And so what I've done is I've actually married those two into what I call story design so that I help leaders use the structure or use the process that writers would use to create a story, Mm -hmm. use that same process to solve a problem. And basically you're creating the future that you want. Love it. And it might be a strategy, it might be a service, um, and and it, that story piece gives you a really nice way to research and test the future that you want so that you don't spend a ton of money developing something that people don't want. So that's that's essentially the work that I'm doing these days. And so you, 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 you told me earlier that you mostly focus on working with nonprofits and in the public sector. Uh, what, what's your motivation for that? What drives you? What do you see? What change are you seeking to create in the world via storytelling? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because, um, I just keep naturally being drawn there. I see that. (laughs) Well, and, and it's funny because, you know, every, every couple of weeks I'll wake up and I'll be like, there is way more money in the business world. (laughs) (laughs) I've also learned this. (laughs) Right. And so I just can't help it. I mean, I think, I'm naturally an educator. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have naturally strong social justice drive. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just so much need and there's so much potential to really, to really help people in that sector. So I think that's what, that's what ultimately drives me there. Um, I also think uh, not necessarily public sector, but the nonprofit sector is actually quite innovative. They are often on the leading edge of wanting to try new approaches to make totally. change. That's a good point. Yeah. And so for me, it's really about, you know, my big picture purpose um, is ultimately to help us find ways to live in better balance with each other and the planet. Mm, I love that. And so how, yeah. And so how do I empower leaders to use this incredible tool that we have called story to get better at the work that they're doing? Mm. And, And I want to come back to something that you said earlier, which is that, you know, lots of people understand that, Story is a really powerful tool for um, creating relationships and selling ideas and things like that. And, um, you know, it's so much more than that. We can do so much more than that. Story is a really powerful research tool. You know, Mm. you can collect and analyze stories about why people made a decision or what they're looking for and use that intel to drive a strategy that you're trying to create or drive a new service that you're trying to uh, develop. You can use stories, you know, whether you're talking about role play or improv or mm-hmm. um, storyboards, you can use stories to test out new ideas. And it's way cheaper than any other kind of prototyping that you might want to yeah. do. And anybody can do it. And so when you start to think about the fact that we all have this narrative intelligence, right, we all understand at a really innate level how stories work. And we all have a lifetime of experience of stories stored up inside us. Mm. If we can start to figure out how to tap into that lifetime of experience of stories and use it to drive innovation, we've got, you know, how many people are on the planet now? Eight billion. You've got eight billion lifetime repositories that you can tap into 
to find solutions to all these problems that we're trying to solve. And so mm. that's, that's, you can tell, that's what I get really passionate about, yeah. right? How do we unlock the stories that are hidden in everybody's expertise? So we talked earlier about this notion of we, you know, use narrative or or, or stories to control the narrative, right? To change, to, to, to control the narrative. We hear that a lot and that can be used for good and for bad. Um, and I love that. I love your point about uh, that. That's not really what they do and, and, and the goal of them, but stories can be used to affect change, right? That's what you do for a living, right? Mm -hmm. So, so why, how, first of all, and, and why are stories so powerful in their ability to affect change? I mean, that, I agree that that controlling the narrative is not what we're trying to do. But when we share stories, that is when we can, when we can affect, hopefully, with people like you and people like what I'm trying to do, affect positive change in the world. Why are stories so powerful in, in, in those efforts? Yeah, I think there's I think there's two things. So one is if you tell a good story and it's a relevant story, people see themselves in that story. Yes. So so they get it, it's easier to imagine change when it's relevant to you. Yeah. But I but I think the biggest thing is and this really kind of comes back to the idea of prototyping, which is that if you can tell a story about the future and how the future is going to work very specifically, mm -hmm. you can make a really scary concept safe. Mm. Right. And if you can tell, if you can help me see what my role in that future story is going to be, now it becomes much more tangible to me. And then the, the other piece that you can do is, so that's the future story. You can also tell stories about how this was done in the past yeah. so that people, you know, if you take a, a thing, a concept where people think, oh, we can't ever do that. And then you're able to share a story with them that's relevant that shows, well, in fact, we've already done it. Yes. Okay. And it's not so scary. So let me try this out on you so I can make sure I understand it and my listeners understand. I'm going to try an example of both of those. So, and you tell me if I'm on the right path or not. So, so, so if it was a future story, this could be something scary, daunting, big, like global warming, right? Like climate change, where I, an individual, sometimes think it's so big and out of my reach that like, I can't do anything about it and it's not related to me. So it seems like if I were told a future story that condenses it and like we do with the science, makes it easier for me to understand and put it in terms that I can relate to then I might be able to see, okay, what's something that I can actually do that would help that macro issue? Is that, is that kind of what you're saying? If someone, yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. And so I, I work, I work with this idea of kind of nested stories or stackable stories, right? And so if you want to talk about global warming, so there's a big global warming narrative that is kind of open-ended, right? It's the 50,000, right. it's the 50,000 foot view of global warming right. and how we kind of got to where we are. And then if you think about that narrative almost as a TV series, okay. then there's episodes or stories. For me, that's the difference between story and narrative, right? The stories are the specific examples of what makes up that 50,000 foot narrative. And so one specific story that I might tell you is about how, you know, I think it's in, um, uh, uh, it's somewhere in New York where they are rebuilding the oyster beds right? Mm. Because it provides, uh, not only do oysters clean water, but it also provides protection against storm surge. Yes, yes, yes. Right. Yeah. So that's one very specific example within that big global narrative 
of something specific that you can do. So stories make these abstract concepts specific and tangible and concrete. And that's what makes it easier for us to understand them. That is such a great way to put it. And I haven't heard it put like that before. So that for me personally, thank you. And I'll, I'll thank mm. you on behalf of my listeners too. That is as an outstanding way to, to put it, you know, you, you really should think about doing this for a living, you know? Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So let's try the past example. Here's something that I see a lot. And maybe this is on the right path. Um, in fact, I think I saw this at the end of a documentary. It might've been food Inc or something like that, but it was talking about big agriculture and the things that we're dealing with, which aren't unrelated to, to, to global warming as it were. Um, and, and that movie, I'm almost sure it was that movie, was over a decade ago at this point. But at the end, they said, just kind of, they had text come up on the screen and it was basically a call to action. Um, but they said something along the lines of, I'm paraphrasing, of like, if this seems daunting to try to make these huge fundamental changes of this magnitude to the food industry and the agriculture industry, just remember we did it, you know, X amount of years ago with big tobacco. So it's not impossible. So is that like an example of if I told a story about how this was done before with something that seems impossible to achieve? Is that kind of what you were talking about with the past story? Yeah, absolutely. And so two examples that come to mind, right? So right now, coming back to the COVID-19 coronavirus thing, um, the stories that are being told right now are China did it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And we're, here's right, how they did it. And here's how, how they did it. Right. So it, it is doable. Right. So um, so that's one example. And then if you want to go farther back, I don't know if you remember the SARS epidemic. Sure. Right. And so I have a friend who was the manager of um, he ran tr- the tourism department for the city of Toronto at the time. And he just put up a post saying, you know, SARS killed the tourism industry in Toronto, mm-hmm. you know, a long time ago. And here's how we came back. Mm. And that's so appropriate right. and relevant right now because people are right. freaked out about how this is affecting their businesses and, and, and if they're going to be able to sustain or not. So something like that would be so beneficial to at least calm them down and then maybe show them the light at the end of the tunnel or a roadmap or whatever. Well, and the nice thing is it's also helping them coming back to this idea of taking control of the narrative. Mm-hmm. It actually helps them take control of their narrative. Which is crucial because people feel like they're they don't control it when they're in this fear-based state, right? You think yeah. that this outside force is controlling it, but if you can yeah. see where someone has done it before, then you start to have that that feeling of hey, I am in control of my destiny. I just have to think about it from a different angle. Then confidence comes back, which now we're kind of having the snowball effect. Uh, that's that's so true and 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 perfectly put because people psych themselves out. And if we can show them an example of how it's been done in the past from what you're saying, then we can kind of show them this, this, this way out. I think that's very, very powerful. Well, and the other thing that's really cool is if you come back to, you know, and this is a tool that's used in the military all the time, this idea of scenario planning. Yeah. Right. And so you can be darn sure that there's a lot of organizations around the world right now that are sitting crafting scenarios to figure out, okay, you know, what's it going to look like in two months time? What's it going to look like in six months time? What are potential scenarios or options that we're going to have based on how things play out so that, you know, you're not sitting there at the end of May or at the end of June going, okay, so that's what happened. Now, what am I going to do? You're actively creating the future story, potential future stories about what you're going to do next, given what you think is going to happen. 
right? Mm. And so the scenario planning is so powerful and it feeds into, have you, have you come across this idea of strategic foresight? No, tell me more. Yeah, it's, 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 it's I mean, I can buzz. use context clues and put exactly. it together. That, that's pretty much exactly what <laughs> it is. Yeah, exactly. And so it, it, it's coming out of the design schools. And so it's using um, basically trend analysis uh-huh. to help people inform their strategic planning, that kind of thing. So uh-huh. looking at, you know, what are the trends going on in healthcare? What are the trends going mm-hmm. on in, you know, global warming, all of those kinds of things. And then saying, um, you know, based on those trends, how do you think that those things could affect your business and how would you actually respond? Yeah. And I love, uh, all right, I, I see where this is going. I like the idea of that because if we were just to deliver, distribute the trends, most people wouldn't be able to, to make sense of that. Okay. I, I see this chart. I see these numbers. I don't know what they mean. Or if you're like me, you see it. And as soon as you see what it is, you're like, I don't have time to even try to decipher that. And you move on to something simpler. Um, so story is the way to do that. Right. Yeah. And so I did a super fun activity about two years ago with a, uh, a big healthcare provider here. Mm. And they were looking at uh, how do they serve the South Asian population, which has a lot of chronic disease. And so I mm. put together um, four scenarios for them for, you know, kind of 20 years, not even 20 years, I think we're 15 years in the future. And then we brought together about 30 people that included like city planners and health planners and business people. Um, and shared the future stories with them. And then we actually played a game to help them start to get a sense of what it looked like. So I made um, basically like dice Mm -hmm. from the four stories. So you rolled the dice and you would get one of the four different stories. And then I created uh, like playing cards with personas of different Mm -hmm. people from the region. And then you would pick a card from the deck and you would say, how would that scenario so, for example, an earthquake, because I live in an earthquake zone, how would a major earthquake affect, you know, a truck driver, single father of four people wow. and then have a discussion on that. Right. And so you're making again, you're t- taking these big um, trend concepts mm-hmm. at the 50,000 foot level and saying, how do we make them really specific and real so we can start to get a sense of how, we're, how we have to plan for the future and how yeah. we're going to respond to the future. And, and then that, I love this, this is all tied together. And then that easily, clearly establishes the problems that we need to be prepared yes. to solve, which brings us back to the thing that got us in here in the first place. Yeah. Uh, I love that. And we had a guest on season two, I believe, of the show, Nick Sung, who was a storyboard artist for Pixar. And there's this um, mm. collaboration that Pixar and Airbnb did called uh, Project Snow White. I don't know if you've heard of this, but for any of our listeners that are digging this part of the, the, the episode, you may want to go back and listen to this. But what they did when Airbnb was just starting out is they hired Pixar and Pixar story artists like Nick to come in and draw out storyboard the user, the potential user experiences from their two users, which are guests right. or hosts of Airbnb. And it's the same thing on, on, you know, not the, the, the magnitude um, and gravity of something like global warming, but even in business, you can use storytelling to, to draw out those potential experiences and therefore expose the potential problems. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So that's a good example of that. What, what is, um, what is story design? That's, that's what you use. Is this what you've created, the tool that you've created to help the, the people that you serve? Yeah, so story design is really, it's the combination of storytelling and design thinking. And so it comes back to 
you know, there's so much story training going on right now. And, and I have a bit, of, I have a bit of a beef with a lot of it because Let's hear it. I, yeah, I you know, maybe we share the beef. Yeah. And so much of it is here's how you turn on a camera. Here's <laughs> how you stand on stage and project your voice. Right. And, <laughs> and that's not storytelling. And no. so my, my two cents is if you don't understand how to structure and tell a good story, how to design a story to achieve a specific purpose, mm-hmm. You can have, you know, the best Hollywood effects in the world and your movie is still going to suck. Right. And so that's the, that's the design piece. How do we bring that design practice into storytelling? Because if you're, if you're, um, you know, if you're an author and you're writing fiction or if you're writing Hollywood scripts, you're designing a story, right? You're setting out, you have a problem that you want to solve, which is maybe as simple as I just want to engage people. Um, but there's a purpose for it. And then the process that you go through is how are you going to solve the problem? And the thing that I love about it with story is, so the, the um, you know, the author is going through this design process in terms of figuring out how I'm going to create the story. Mm-hmm. But the, here's where the design piece comes in for people who want to use it is the hero is actually a designer mm-hmm. because the hero is designing a solution to the problem that he has. Right. So if Got I go it. back to Lord of the Rings and Frodo, Frodo has to design a solution to the problem of how do I destroy the ring of power? Yes. And so Frodo goes through a design process where he comes up with ideas and he tests them out and they don't work. Right. If you remember the movie, I mean, I'm a huge fan, right? Like when, when he gets the ring of power and he gets sent off, you know, the first thing he's told is he has to get to the village of Bree and Gandalf will meet him there. And so he thinks that's all he has to do. That's his whole problem, just get to the village of Bree. And he tucks the ring in his pocket and he says, well, I can cut across country easily enough, right? And off he goes. And if you know the movie, all hell breaks loose and he almost gets killed. And then he finally gets to the village of Bree and Gandalf isn't there. And now he has a new new problem problem. that he has to solve. Yes, 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 I'm seeing it. Yeah, and so Frodo is a designer. Frodo is designing a solution to his problem. Mm. And so that's how I bring that, you know, what can be a complex topic of design thinking and make it really tangible and easy for people. So if you're designing, you know, if you're sitting at home right now and you're running a restaurant (laughs) and your restaurant business has just collapsed because of the coronavirus, you're sitting there and your your problem might be, how am I going to um, change my business right now so that I can continue to make money or your problem might be, well, when I reopen, you know, what is my business going to be? And then you actually use the process of storytelling and story design to create that solution. I just want to, I just have to plus one that that is so important right now. I know so many people in the restaurant business, my brother is a caterer in fact, and they're, they're pummeled. I mean that, that business or any business that has large amounts of people together that they serve. So my brother weddings, they're, they're all gone. Right. And these people are, are scared to just put it simply and confused and don't know where to turn. I think this is such great advice because what I've been trying to help them, I'm fortunate right now. I have a lot of editing work lined up. So um, a lot of my friends, you know, you included people that are professional speakers uh, are being pummeled by this as well because events are being canceled. I'm in a, in a lucky place. So I'm trying to help people as much as I can and help them understand this is also a chance to be creative. Exactly. And when you have restrictions, and we know this from storytelling, often the best creative decisions come from those restrictions. And while I'm not just trying to be all silver lining e and and not not recognize that this is a dire time, 
there is opportunity if, if we think about it creatively. And so I'm trying to help people with that. And this is a perfect example of how they can get there is by telling those potential stories. Okay, well, what if I did this? What would it look like? Let's right. carry that thread out. And I know people are scared, but if they can do that little bit of work, I think a lot of doors of opportunity would expose themselves. Would you agree? Uh, absolutely. And, and uh, what if is exactly it. And the thing that's so great about that is you can go out to either existing or new customers and mm -hmm. you don't have to build a prototype. You call them up and you say, hey, I'm just thinking, what if I did this? Right. And you've tested your idea, right? It's so cheap and it's so easy. I really so, yeah, want people to hear agree. this because this is so relevant to what's going on. And I just know a lot of friends that are, they're so scared. They've got these blinders on, right? And they, they, they're so worried appropriately. So about family and just everything, you know, everything that's so serious right now that, that it's limiting them from seeing options out or ways out. And I think this is such an easy, like you said, an easy yeah. tangible way to, to test things out and, Speaking to friends in the restaurant industry, I'm like, hey, you're a professional cook. People are going to be sick of eating pasta or a lot of people <laughs> don't want, they don't cook at home anyway. And now they're right. being forced to. So that's a, you have an audience to serve one-on-one. -on -one, it's not a big group contact. What about doing more private chef stuff? Like what's the narrative or the story that, that we can start to tell that, that may work? I love your simple advice of like just testing that theory. Hey, what if I made you all your family three meals for this week and I brought them and delivered to, to you? I mean, that's testing it. I, I yeah. just think that's really important right now. And, and like you said, um, when we started this, I, I think we, it'd be a missed opportunity. I'm glad we decided to really lean into the coronavirus to the current situation, knowing that this, this episode may not be released for a little bit of time because I think this is actually helpful. And while you and I may not have planned to help people this way, I, I think it's it's important to put it out there. And I know we're running, uh, you know, short on time. Uh, we're getting close to to about an hour now, so we'll we'll wrap it up soon. But I want to go ahead and thank you because this is this has been great for me, and I think that people will really love it because you have a unique perspective and approach to storytelling, which is popular. There's a lot of different theories now. It's kind of a buzzword. I think that's a good thing, right, for people like you and I. But uh, it's nice to hear a, a, a new, refreshing approach to it because, and I think that's why I was so interested in talking to you about your science background because I think it comes from that. How do we take what's complex and make it simple for people to understand? I think that's the the, the end goal in stories from what I've found in my life is just the absolute best way to do that. Yeah, and I, I agree 100%. And I've worked with a lot of scientists, and I love working with scientists. And, and I actually think that those are the voices that we need to hear. You know, they're coming up with all the solutions to our problems. And so, it's, you know, I almost see it as my mission to enable them to be more um, visible and for their Big work time. to be more visible. Yeah, because for some reason, we're in this era where we are challenging scientists in a way or just not accepting what they say. And I don't know if that is from the disconnect that people have and, 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 and people like you and I needing to do that more to establish that connection with, with storytelling. But for some reason we don't listen as much as we should to them. I mean, there are the right people are out there giving us the right guiding lights and we're often missing the messages, especially now right? There's a lot of different mm -hmm. com people competing for our attention on what to say. And some people are, are, are over freaking out and some people aren't freaking out enough. And if you talk to medical professionals, doctors, nurses, scientists that know this disease and know its history and can tell us the stories of its past and potential futures, 
then we can get some sort of rea- real grasp on, on what's going on in the situation and how we can apply it to our lives. Yeah. And, you know, you just made me think there's another whole episode, you know, for the future, this idea of how do we listen to stories and mm. how do we analyze and make sense of stories, especially as leaders, you know, mm. who, who do we need to be listening to? What are the stories that we need to be listening to? Mm-hmm. And how do we, coming back to the, you know, the documentary work, how do we as leaders translate what we're hearing and, and, you know, help our followers make sense of that. So that coming back to what I said in the, in the beginning, right. So that we can all move forward together. Absolutely. I think that's an outstanding idea. How do we, how do we listen to stories as, as leaders? That's, that's great because to do our jobs well as leaders, we, we need to mm-hmm. that know, knowing what our people want and what they need and what they're experiencing. This, is, this all goes back to the hero, right? Like understanding yeah. the problems that people are dealing with, the better we can lead. Um, I'm, I'm like getting chills. I don't like, I, I know I love that you're so passionate about this, but this just, this is, has lit me up today. So I'm glad we were able to make it happen. Um, with events canceling left and right, wh- what's your approach right now? Are there certain things you're focused on? I know a lot of our contemporaries and peers are offering courses or, or, or weekly webinars or, you know, where, where are you spending your time or pivoting to now? Or are you just kind of waiting and seeing what happens? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I mean, I, I'm tempted like everybody to kind of jump into that space, but I also don't want to over overdo it. I mean, one thing I'm just in the process of is I'm just finishing, um, because I see such a need for this for leadership, I'm just finishing um, becoming a, a credentialed coach with the International Coaching Federation. Okay. So like a story um, coach, basically. Uh, yeah, and a business coach, okay. right? So kind of, kind of pull, pulling it on. Using storytelling knowledge. Exactly, right, okay. exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. So how do you help leaders start to pull these tools together mm-hmm. um, to be better at engagement, at collaboration, at managing creatives, things like that? And so uh, it's a good time for me to really uh, hunker down and, and um, help other people, you know, start to discover coaching and what it can do for them. So that's one piece. And then I think, um, uh, I think what I'm going to do, so I've also done a lot of sprint work, like design mm-hmm. sprints. I, know, I saw that. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's a real opportunity now to just run some virtual sprints for people to get in, to Agreed. start to play around with ideas. You know, where could we go? What would that start to look like? So I, I think that's where I'm going to be going in the next couple of weeks is coming forward and saying, um, you know, for the coaching, it'll be uh, pay me if you can. And if you can't, you know, we'll just pay it forward. I want to help mm-hmm. you through this. Um, and, uh, and then set up some sprints for people to, to come and test, test out their new ideas and test out their new future and, and discover the power of sprints as well. And if people wanted to learn more about that, where, where's the best place they can reach you or find what, what you're up to? Where do you spend most of your time online? Um, yeah, probably LinkedIn would be LinkedIn. the best place. Yeah. My website, um, my podcast What's would the be podcast? the other. So the podcast is Forward, spelled a bit wonky. So F O R E W A R D. Uh, how stories, um, uh, how stories make change, drive change. I don't even know the title of my program. <laughs> how stories drive change, and so it's essentially uh, interviews with leaders who are using stories. And, and the reason I'm doing that is I'm trying to get people to start to see different ways that you can use stories. So I actually just interviewed a really hotshot uh, clean energy scientist. Mm. who's using story to um, help tackle, you know, again, the climate change issue. Um, You know, things like interviewing uh, a strategist from Deloitte, you know, how are they using stories to um, make their services more um, customer centered and client centered? Um, A guy from the sustainable apparel coalition, um, how does he, he was a journalist. So how does he use stories to actually engage people in the strategies that he's developing? Yeah. Yeah. So trying to get beyond, 
you know, we all knew, know that you can use stories to sell beer, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? Yes. How do we, how do we get beyond that and really start to use stories to uh, help people? You yeah. know, I'll scrub through my, um, uh, my guests that I've had, cause we've, we've talked about this a lot too, cause my background doing documentaries was often with nonprofits as well. Mm. So I have this kind of purpose driven thing that runs through me as well uh, with the work that I like to do. I don't like to sell beer with my storytelling. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so there are some people um, that I think may be good, good fits for, for what you're talking about in the environmental world, sustainable world uh, as well. And what, what was your website for the people listening? Uh, so it's my full name. So it's Denise okay. Yeah. Cool. And we'll put a link in there okay. for everybody in the show notes, but Denise, Thank you again. Like I'm, I'm really um, energized. Isn't the right word, but like it just, it kind of warmed my soul. I know that sounds cheesy, but like things are scary out there right now. And, and I think your approach to things and your, your mission and your, you know, what's serving as your true North is, is, is commendable. And I, I appreciate it personally. And, and I hope everyone else does too. Thank you so much for what you're doing and thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Well, thanks for the opportunity. I mean, I love, I love your show and I love what you're doing. And I think the more that we can help people learn to use story, you know, the better off we're all going to be. So thanks for this. Absolutely. Have a great day. Great. Thank you. All right. Bye now. My name is Rain Bennett. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. If you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show, give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it. We love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show. That's what fuels us and that's what fuels the show. And if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show, please, please share it with them. The more we grow, the more we can help you grow and that's what we're here to do. Join us next time on the Storytelling Lab. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.